You know, Father, as we bow in prayer, it is our heart's desire and request that we might have Christ truly by faith, possess him, and he possessing us. Lord, it is our desire that your will would be wrought in our lives, and we know that it is your will for us to be redeemed, cleansed, to humbly follow your word and walk with the Savior and by faith experience this wonderful life filled with challenge and trials, but wonderful victories by grace. So Lord, teach us what it is to indeed walk by faith and not by sight. Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of your law. And all God's people said, amen. Ellis Vidler, who is an American author, said this, bad decisions make for good stories. And when you think about it, the Bible is nothing if it's not a book of bad decisions that are turned into good stories by the amazing grace of God. Human stories of failure and weakness and in triumph because God swoops in and radically changes a soul, comes to us by mercy and grace and makes us the people of faith. And that's what we find as we go through the book of Hebrews chapter 11, that these individuals who are mentioned as heroes in one sense in this hall of faith or hall of fame chapter of faith. But on the other hand, we see that each one had some challenges that they had to overcome, some failures that God had to clean up. And when we open our Bibles to Hebrews 11, we read in verse 20 these words, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. So we've already talked about Abraham. Abraham is mentioned more, if you just count the verses, than anyone else in this longest of all chapters in the book of Hebrews. But now we have just a brief statement. About Isaac, he blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. And then we jump right to the next verse. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. And then we're ushered right away immediately into verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. I mean, it's almost like the writer is dismissing these three. Uh, We'll mention them because they're in the order, but let's not spend a lot of time with them. He makes no reference to the main stories of their pilgrimage, the up and down of their daily life. But he's not really being dismissive. He is being amazingly and powerfully suggestive by putting the three of these individuals together in such short space. And what do they have in common in this particular text? 
that the greatest example of faith is often found at the end of life. That's quite a statement. The greatest example of faith is often found at the end of life. Not that there can't be great examples of faith before that, but it is really great when faith still lives and someone is about to die. So you see in Isaac, uh, he blessed Jacob and Esau. When did that happen? Well, when you read in Genesis chapter 27, it says that Isaac was old, his eyes were weak, that he could no longer see, and he was, he, he was just worn out, about ready to die. And we have that clearly said of Jacob while he was dying or when he was dying. And Joseph, when his end was near. You see, some people struggle at the start, never seem to get going. There are other people who get going rather quickly and they get bogged down in the middle of life and they don't finish well. But then there are some of those who maybe are slow getting out of the box, almost faint in the middle mile, and yet somehow there is a flurry of, of flourishing at the end. At the end, they seem to come to their own. Sometimes we call them late bloomers, but the whole idea is that the true principle of their heart and life although maybe not seen as well at other times in their life, comes to be seen in its true colors. The Bible is clear to tell us that real faith perseveres, so we shouldn't be surprised. Let's take a moment to look at some of these individuals then. Uh, first of all, with Isaac, verse 20, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob, and Esau with regard to their future. He's at the end of his, but he is going to bless them in regard to theirs. Fascinating story. You think about it, Isaac was not overly impressive personally. In fact, it seems to be that the faith of Isaac was somewhat passive. Maybe that's because <laughs> the faith of his dad was so amazing. It's hard to follow a man like Abraham. But he seemed to follow him, even if it was a little less courageous. When Abraham offered Isaac on the altar, Isaac would have been in his 30s, and he seemed to not fight it, but nor did he seem to do anything too courageous. He just kind of went along with the plan. That took faith. When his father was finding a wife, what did Isaac do? He passively sat back at home just waiting. He probably agreed with the principle that he shouldn't get a wife from the surrounding nations. So the servant of Abraham went to find a wife from the home, uh, from the family line. And he just waited and then got involved in the plan. He had no choice in the matter, but he was happy with the result. It seems like one of the most impressive things about Isaac in his life is that he dug wells. Now that seems more impressive back then than it does today, but he dug a lot of wells. And when an enemy came and took his well, he didn't fight. He didn't argue. He just went and dug 
another well. Abraham would have protested. Jacob would have attacked. Isaac digs another well. It seems like he's going along until at the age of 60, his wife gives birth to twins. And when you read the scripture, this is Genesis 25, uh, you read that the two boys in the womb were struggling. I suppose every pregnant woman feels somewhat like that. There's one person fighting with himself or there must be two or three fighting with each other. But actually there were going to be twins. And so God reveals that, yeah, you actually have two different nations fighting in your womb. And the Lord told them that the older is going to serve the younger. In other words, the normal primogenitor, the, the prime generation, the oldest son who gets the inheritance, sometimes in God's economy that is changed. And we don't know why. It's for some hidden divine reason. But it's not going to be the oldest. It's going to be the youngest. Not Esau, but Jacob, who will be the leader of the line. So the boys are born. The scripture tells us that Esau was a skillful hunter and Jacob was a quiet soul who stayed close to his mom, at least early on. And the scripture tells us that Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. Why did he love Esau? Because he loved venison. And Esau fed him. And he was a hunter. And he gravitated to this son who met one of his deep needs or desires. Now Isaac and Rebekah knew that God had changed the order of the inheritance for the sons. That the younger was going to be the leader. The patriarchal blessing would rest upon him. And yet in spite of that, he tried to deceive God. It's interesting, his face must, must have been very weak, if passive before, now extremely weak. And Isaac boldly attempts to trick the Lord, tries to deceive him. When he's about ready to die, he says to Esau, go and get some of that food I like, prepare a meal for me, come back, and I will give you the blessing. It's not what God said, but it's what Isaac wanted. And so Esau goes off and prepares the meal, but Jacob and Rebekah team up to deceive Isaac. Given the best motive, they knew that Jacob was supposed to be the one who got the blessing, but they teamed up together, Jacob and Rebekah. And finally, and, and so Jacob comes to his dad dressed in animal clothes. Remember the story? Because Esau's hairy. I mean, how hairy do you have to be to be dressed up in animal clothes and your dad feels you and says, yep, that's my son Esau. And the smell of the field is on him. Which, to a farmer, that's a great blessing, the smell of a field. To the rest of us, we roll up the windows and somehow try to get by the farm. So the blessing is then given by way of deceit 
Isaac's doing all he can to make sure that he's giving the blessing to his oldest son. And yet Jacob ends up getting the blessing because God will not be fooled. Isaac kisses who he thinks is Esau and he gives the blessing that dew of heaven and earth's richness and abundant grain and new wine will be yours. Agricultural prosperity. And many nations will serve you. Peoples will bow down to you. You'll be Lord over your brothers. Over the sons of your mother, they'll bow down to you. There's a strong or royal authority. And then the Abrahamic prophecy. May those who curse you be cursed and those you bless be blessed. And scarcely had Jacob stolen the blessing than Esau comes in. And he said, okay, here's the food. I'm ready for the blessing. And the scripture tells us that Isaac trembled violently. Why? He'd been caught by God. Do you ever try to deceive God and get away with it? Maybe he won't know. Haven't heard from him lately. He's pretty busy. I mean, I can, we, we often don't even think about Jehovah watching uh, what we are doing. And, and we do things thinking he's not going to see. He's not going to care. We'll be able to get by. And then boom, God shows up and we tremble violently because we've been caught. But sometimes when God arrests us in our sin. It is not to condemn us, but to save us. And that, my friend, is grace. Amazing grace. And I think at this point, knowing that his foolish plan had backfired, he yielded to God. Jacob yielded to God. Or Isaac, excuse me, yielded to God. How do we know Well, when Esau pleaded for the blessing, Isaac said, I blessed your brother and he will be blessed. In fact, the scripture says in chapter 27 of Genesis that Esau pled for the blessing with tears and Isaac held his ground. In fact, in our own book of Hebrews that we're studying in chapter 12, it says in verse 17 that... um, Esau wanted to inherit the blessing, but he was rejected. And he could not bring about a change of mind in his dad Isaac, even though he sought for that blessing in tears. There is a translation that gives you the idea that that Esau was repenting and God rejected him. But that doesn't seem to be the case. Is that he tried to get his dad to repent. And there was no change of mind found in in Isaac, even though Esau sought for it with tears. There was no repentance of heart, just sad that he missed the blessing. So I think there was a real changing in Isaac because he didn't yield to the pressure of Esau. When you come to chapter 28 in Genesis, Isaac gives the blessing again to Jacob. May God Almighty bless you, make you fruitful, increase you in numbers. You'll become a community of peoples. May give you descendants 
and the blessing of Abraham be given to you. Now he's in sync with God. And the reason why I know that there was a real change in Isaac is because Hebrews 11.20 says, by faith, he blessed his sons. That last statement, his vain attempt to change the channel of faith changed his life. And I think sometimes, think about this, sometimes the greatest example of a person's faith grows up out of the greatest failure of their life. Was that not true of David? Who after his great sin repented? And the deep principle of faith within his heart now is finally seen like it perhaps had not been for a long time. Or take Peter, who when the Lord was dying on the cross, said, I don't even know this guy. And Jesus came after him to recover him. And the greatest faith of Peter is seen in the recovery of Peter when he's preaching in the book of Acts and boldly goes where no one has gone before with the gospel. Sometimes out of our greatest failures, God brings forth that principle of faith, genuine faith that's there but was buried and brings it to the surface and lets it dominate once again so that our story is a story of faith and failure and mercy and faith again. Does that sound familiar? I really appreciate Amber sharing her story. And that's what it was. You know, it's difficult for a person to sometimes know when they were really converted because their failures were so great. They thought they had faith before, but sometimes the faith begins to really live after the great failure. I'm not approving of the failure. I'm just saying where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Aren't you glad that story's in the book? It was W.F. Bell who said that repentance is the tear in the eye of faith. Repentance is the tear in the eye of faith. When faith takes hold, it cries and weeps for its wickedness and sin. Standing before God in his presence, yielded to his purpose, Isaac blesses the boys, just as God told him to do. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were in charge of writing down the heroes of the faith, I'm not sure that Isaac would have gotten in. Didn't do much. Blew it royally. Tried to rebel against the clear command of God. But the writer of Hebrews puts him right there. Includes him. Which gives me hope. Not that I'll be included in some list of heroes of the faith. But that I'll be included with the people of faith. Merely by the goodness of God, because I don't deserve it. And I'm glad that God has passed over a lot of those stories 
to focus on this one. And hopefully, hopefully at the very end, the best example of faith is we're looking forward to the future, which Isaac was doing. Well, let's go to Jacob. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on his staff. Again, most of the stories of life are ignored, all of them actually. We see him dying at the end where his eyes are dim and he's, he's weakness, in his weakness, he's leaning upon his staff. Although what does it say about him? He's leaning on his staff while he's what? Worshiping. Don't omit that. That's where I want to be found at the end. Worshiping. Don't you? True faith perseveres and at the end, battled, scarred, beaten, broken, with a history of failure, but looking up to God's amazing grace and worshiping. That's what Jacob is doing. Now, Jacob is the quiet soul. He's clever, ever scheming, his chosen tactic, deception. He seems to be a guy who wants to walk by faith, but fear often steps in. And when fear steps in, he acts like an idiot. He acts like a human being. It was George Mueller who said the beginning of fear is the end of faith. And the beginning of faith is the end of fear or anxiety. Which one are you going to yield to? It was G. Campbell Morgan who made this interesting observation that seven times in the scripture we are told that God appeared to Abraham. Five times we are told that God appeared to Jacob. Every appearance of God to Abraham was to lead him into a new venture of faith. All five of the appearance, appearances of God to Jacob were to correct him. <laughs> to break him and bring him back. To rebuke and restore him. To reset his feet on the pathway of faith. And it worked. Now you can go through the life of Jacob. It's a very interesting story of a lot of bad decisions. But it's a good story because God conquers by grace. So here's Jacob at the end, blessing Joseph. We read about this in Genesis 48. Jacob blessed Joseph and said, may the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully. Isaac walked faithfully. That's what it says. The God who has been my shepherd all my life to this final day. The angel, speaking of the angel of the Lord, who has delivered me from all harm. And that word harm or evil, as it is in some translations, means to be broken down and ruined. In other words, all my life, God has been redeeming me from breakdowns and total ruin. All my life, he has been my shepherd. 
May he bless these boys. Joseph brought his two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh, his dad. And it's amazing that uh, Jacob switches his hands. Remember that story? Hey, I was the younger and I was blessed, so I'm going to do the same thing. I I don't think that was his reasoning. I think his reasoning was this is what God wants. And so again, the older doesn't get the blessing. The younger Ephraim becomes the dominant tribe in Israel and Manasseh, the older son, well, that's a sad story of weakness in the tribe of Manasseh. But his prayer, his blessing is focused on these individuals in a way that shows great faith and trust in the Lord. May God bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. God has been my shepherd all my life till this very day. What a statement. It's interesting, when you go back to um, Genesis 42, and remember Jacob had been gone, the, the brothers had sold him to a slave in Egypt, and everyone thought he was dead, but he's thriving in Egypt. But, but Jacob thinks his son Joseph is gone. And when, when the brothers went to get grain, they had to leave Simeon in prison, So he's lost two sons, and now they can't go back for more grain unless they bring the youngest son, Benjamin. And Jacob is heard to say, everything is against me. I have to laugh every time I read that phrase because I've often said that myself. Everything is against me. What's the problem? I I can't get my shoe on. And I went to get my coat and I couldn't get my arm in the coat and then I'm rushing because I'm late and I hit my head on the door. These are true stories, by the way. (laughs) And I'm rushing out of the garage so fast that I run into the door that's not quite up yet. Everything is against me. No, (laughs) you're just foolish. Ah, but to be able to say at the end, God has been my shepherd every day until now. And faith conquers. This is the outlook of faith, to review your life at the end and be able to say that although my faith flickered, it is a flame, a healthy flame by the grace of God. And time would fail me, as the, book of, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, to speak of Joseph. <laughs> we just don't have time for Joseph. We'll catch him, Lord willing, next week. But verse 22 says, when Joseph was near the end, he spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning his bones. All the great Now, unlike the others, Joseph has some wonderful stories of great faith, but they're all ignored. And the last story near the end of the life is the one that is chosen as the prime example of faith. Joseph says, I know you're not going to be in Egypt forever. So, when you go to the promised land, take my bones. They were in Egypt another 400 years. Who was the keeper of the bones? I mean, generation, I, I'm sure there was some guy who said, I'm the keeper of the bones. My father was the keeper of the bones. My 
grandfather was the keeper. My great, my great, great, great. All the, we've been the keeper of the bones for centuries. Why are you keeping the bones? Because one day, God will say, it's time to go home. I took faith for Joseph to say, keep them. Keep them. And when they came out of Egypt, someone was saying, I got the bones. Might have had a checklist. Got the food? Yes. Got the kids? Yes. Got the bones? Yes. And off they went. What a statement of faith. Because faith at the very end shines brightly. It's gone through the battle. It's had the times of defeat and question and doubt. But at the end, by the amazing mercy of God, you stand by faith. God is incredibly patient. That doesn't mean we need to play with that patience nor try it. But as feeble and as frail as our faith may be, however we may tremble, the Bible tells us God honors genuine faith. Faith honors God and God honors faith because it pleases him. And while we may often say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, when the principle of faith is deeply embedded by, in the soul by the grace of God and the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit and we are new creatures in Christ, that faith is going to flourish. Because 1 John 5, 4 says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. How does God see you? I'm such a sinner. I know you are. <laughs> you're not telling me anything, do. No, no, pastor, I'm really a bad sinner. I know, and you're worse than you think. <laughs> so am I. What does God think of you? If that's all God sees of you, my friend, there's condemnation. But if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are clothed, clothed, covered, with the garment of salvation and the person of your Savior. And when God sees you, he doesn't see you. He sees Christ. That's amazing grace. So I can stand at the end by the grace of God. How did, how did God see these people? Yahweh said, I am the God of Abraham. Okay, I get that. I am the God of Isaac. Really? And I'm the God of Jacob. Isn't that encouraging? I'm the God of all three. And Jesus reaffirms the statement in the new covenant because God is an amazing God of grace. No human would have drafted that statement. That has to be God in his grace. How does God look at you? Jesus told a parable in Matthew 21, of two sons. He said to the one, go in the vineyard and work, but he did not. And said to the other, go in the vineyard, and he would not, but then changed his mind. Which of the two did what his father wanted? Yeah, the one who finally went. 
For it's always better to end well. Not to start fast, necessarily, but to end well. The beginning and the middle are important, but the end shows what we really believe. What does God think of you? This story comes out of the wars of Napoleon, that diminutive emperor who was rather mean and harsh. But he was also very magnanimous in his generosity at times. There was one private who fought in a particular war very bravely. And Napoleon wanted to thank him, so he came riding in. Napoleon wants to see you. He came riding in on his horse, got down off his horse in the presence of the emperor. And this private said, I am here, sir. And Napoleon said, I just want to thank you, Captain, for what you've done. And immediately gave him a promotion. That guy got back on his horse, rode wherever he was supposed to go, and asked for a new uniform. <laughs> or, or the bars, or whatever. Give me what captains wear. Give me the horse that captains have. Give me the tent that cap. How in the world would you call yourself a captain when you're a private? Napoleon just called me captain. And that's all I need. God calls you his children, blood-washed children, heirs with Christ. What more do you need? And every story in the Bible yells and screams out to us that here we are making bad decisions, but God swoops in by grace and transforms us and makes us his children, and we get to heaven by the work of Christ, and we connect to that work by faith. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to see that the lives of these two individuals are much like our own. While there are desires to be people of faith, we often give ourselves to deception. We try to change the plan of God and go in an opposite direction, hoping that you won't notice. Lord, we began to think that somehow, just because of who we are, we'll get by, maybe because of who our father is or our grandfather. And then, Lord, you break us down to see that we are sinners and our only hope is grace. Lord, as we go further into this wonderful chapter of Hebrews and especially into chapter 12, we'll see that all of these stories are designed to point to Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. Encourage us this day to walk by faith in the risen Son of God, who calls us his children. In your name we pray, amen.